Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory and on Facebook at MyPeaceCorpsStory. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, I'd like to give a special thanks to NJCL Love, five stars, a walk down memory lane. They write, while I have never been a PCV, I have spent time overseas on a language fellowship and working in a rural African setting. I find the stories and anecdotes Tyler is able to parse out from people's vastly different experiences, often reminiscent of some of my favorite memories of my time outside the U.S. Anyone who has lived in a cultural context much different from their own homeland or family will be able to relate. I also love learning how volunteers have been able to apply their experiences to post-PC career utilizing their PC roots, Core Africa, Tiny House Roasters, etc. It's been good inspiration for my next career move. More of these stories, please. NJC all love. I know who you are. Thank you very much. On this episode, I speak with Ray Myers, who served in India from 1966 to 1968 in the first decade of Peace Corps. Could you do Peace Corps without talking to your friends and family back home for 27 months? Well, that's what Ray did. Here's his story on the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. This is Ray Myers, and this is my Peace Corps story. Ray, how are you doing today? Doing fine, thanks. How are you? Doing well, and very excited to interview you. As as I said before, you know, most of the people that I have interviewed so far have served relatively the same time that I did. You know, in the in the past decade. But you are, you know, in the first decade of of, of Peace Corps yeah. when, when you yeah. served. So I'm really interested to hear that experience, and then also talking about the uh, unique opportunity that you had to go back to the area where you served 40 years later. Yeah, I've actually gone back to. Uh, I was in Karnataka, which was in Mysore mm-hmm. in southern India, and I've been back to Bangalore for an international conference, and then went back to my hometown, uh, my Peace Corps town. Mm-hmm. In uh, northern Karnataka, it's now like a twin cities, Hubli, Darwar, and there's a group up there, an NGO called Deshpande Foundation, mm-hmm. and it's founded by a very wealthy entrepreneur here in the states, based out of Massachusetts, I believe. But anyway, I had an opportunity to go back to actually where I worked as a Peace Corps volunteer for about a month in that summer of 2008, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So, starting off for everybody who's listening. Where did you serve in the Peace Corps in India, and what exactly were you doing? And in, in, in what years? When did you fly over to to start your service as a Peace Corps volunteer? Yeah, I was over there after graduation from college. It was 1966. I was there through that was July. Actually, service started October that year, and then I returned home in July of '68. Yeah, right after the yeah, in the hot come back from Fourth of July, if I remember correctly, and. Um, 
I was based there to do some teacher training. That was ostensibly the purpose, to get, be associated with the teacher training college, or as they named them, TTIs, in India, and uh, get to know some village school headmasters, teachers are coming back for training or uh, in-service training. So I got more into the what happened. I did some teaching, some form of classroom work. Got more involved in work in the villages, building school kitchens. There's a program called CARE, C-A-R-E. Most people have heard of it, but they were trying to use the volunteers or make, take advantage of volunteers meeting headmasters and having access to their village schools where they could add on a kitchen room and provide a space where they could cook properly, demonstrate proper techniques for cooking, using fuel, and, and even ventilating the cooking space. Because a biggest problem you've probably seen in a lot of parts of the world is just the... the um, the debris that gets in the eyes and, and it has a problem, causes problems uh, phys- um, for, the, for them to see visually. Mm-hmm. So that was what, what I was doing. I got more involved in the building than the actual teaching in the long run. Explain for everybody who's listening the village where you lived. What, what was that like? Well, we were relatively in a more metropolitan area called in India. Now it's, I've been back, and I mean, actually, it's been. Uh, at that time, there were, you know, they said you couldn't have more than, there's a billion people in India, as you know, and I think that was 333,000, million at that time. So you would get into the village, you'd have a bike, standard, standard issue, a Raleigh bike, um, and some access to buses that met daily and traveled to the sites. So I think your question specific was about, I was. I, I did go back to where I worked, mm-hmm. and um, saw so very much changed, very much more populated, much maybe many more amenities, and a lot of you know activity at night when you wouldn't ex- even expect to see people traveling around after after sundown and and freely going to the market and so forth. It was very different, very much changed, mm-hmm. and technology was a big part of that too. Mm-hmm. Just so the ability of people to get uh, cell phones and connect and be in touch with each other constantly. Mm-hmm. And now thinking back. What are some of the memories that you've you've held on to uh, that are your most favorite from your time as a Peace Corps volunteer? Well, some of it's not really with my work. I mean, the accomplishment was terrific, the mm-hmm. satisfaction of doing the work. And from my, from my standpoint, some people said it was actually more satisfying in leaving the classroom and working mm-hmm. with your hands and getting things built. So that may be, you know, kind of a selfish motivation in some ways. So, but that was what I experienced at that time. And one of the more... The most uh, memorable thing I think I did, I learned to play um, the tabla, which is the Indian equivalent of our drums. You've, you've seen concerts where a sitar and tabla are accompanying each other, and that was a great leisure time activity for me. Nothing to do with my Peace Corps experience. Mm-hmm. But, in fact, I got to meet a lot of the teacher trainees in the, in the, in the, in the TTI who were willing to play music, teach me how to use the instruments, show me their harmoniums and all the other instruments they use. So... Um, I'm not sure I'm answering your direct question, but I think that was one of the more memorable things I, I did at the time. Something I wasn't designed or obligated to do, but something I personally enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And that's right in line with everybody else who I've talked to. You know, usually it, it's not the, the assignment that you've been assigned to do, but those activities outside of your quote-unquote work and the relationships that you build through your time, time serving. Yeah, because you're kind of a novelty. I, I, I knew we were, and I didn't mind that at all. Because then you feel like you're a celebrity. You know, people know who you are, and they want to come and see what you're doing. I think the hardest person, back in the mid-60s, I think, when first started with Peace Corps, I don't know everyone else's experiences, 
But the thing question was, why are you here? You know, mm-hmm. why would you leave, <laughs> come and work in India? And uh, you know, it was not something I necessarily planned to do. Some people had destined, you know, thought about Peace Corps long, long way along a college career. That would be a step for them. But for me, I was just um, eager to see something, something else, another mm-hmm. part of the world, and learn learn from that. And you said people sort of questioned. Why, why is this young American here? Why, why did you leave? How, how much did they know about the United States at that time? I mean, now everybody has cell phones and television and we're interconnected and, you know, we can Skype and talk to people in India at this mm-hmm. very moment. Uh, what, what did they really know about the culture that you were coming from as an American? Well, not so much. Uh, not, I don't say that pejoratively. I just say, so here we are. I mean, I work with a group of other people, and we're not all Anglo-American like me. There's a Chinese-American lady, a Syrian-American woman, a black man, a fellow Steve from New York is Jewish, and we all kind of, and here I am, a, a white Anglo-Saxon a Catholic at that time. But, you know, we just kind of looked, we were diverse, and that was unexpected, I think. People walked in, they look, they all look alike. And I made some, um, you know, absurd comment, like, you know, but it was a joke. It was under, understating the case that we didn't really look, look alike. So we were a mystery, a real mystery to them. And I think, you know, um, they would come up to me, and I don't uh, mean this uh, in a bragging way, but, oh, you look like, um, you're, you're like Kennedy, the, the president who was shot. You're, your, my, my family background is Irish Catholic as well. So, you know, that's what they identified with, I guess. I was, perhaps in their minds, uh, more American than some of the other my teammates. But that was um, someplace a stereotype uh, and somehow hardest, hardest to break down, that we, the Americans were diverse and that we all could contribute in a certain way that was for the good. But I think still, after, even after two years, the concrete, going to the village and saying, here's a school building or here's a kitchen, we helped you build is more surely a sense of saying, here's the accomplishments. The more intangible ones, like the guys, the kids, and the, 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 I mean, the, the students that were taught by young Americans who were good teachers and got to know the culture very easily. I got to know a little bit about the music. I think that was an entree for me. But I think the people who spent more time in the classroom with the people somehow got a richer, richer experience. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm most interested to to know about from from your service is staying connected with people back home. Uh, I mean, I've I've been back from Peace Corps for three years. You know, I was able my my mother called me every single Sunday. I could send you know instant messages to to friends. How how did you stay in contact with? friends and family back in the U.S.? It wasn't so easy. I don't think I even talked to them in the two years I was away. That was like 21 months. It wasn't a full two-year two year term. But we used aerograms, airmail, the kind of the people familiar with, the, they fold them up, you write on them on three or four sides and fold it up and put it in the mailbox. So you communicated that way. In some emergency situations, I guess uh, the telegraph, telegrams, uh, we were able to get messages back and forth if there was you know, some kind of... Uh, um, catastrophe occurring or some need for the person to get home quickly for some family emergency. Uh, and once in a while, I could call the headquarters office, I think, in Bangalore, which was uh, uh, capital of Karnataka with Mysore then. But Bangalore would also be able to contact you somehow. They just have connections with the police department. So I think everybody knew, people knew where we were. We were pretty obvious by our presence. If someone had tracked them down, the police could know where we were. 
um, and uh, get in touch with us for any, any any kind of emergency that came came up. Mm-hmm. And were you working directly with other uh, Americans and Peace Corps volunteers? Were you all together, or were you by yourself at this teacher training facility? Well, actually, almost side by side. There were two teacher training institutes in this compound. There was one for the women and one for the men. And uh, the teams, our teams were not necessarily, you know, unisex. It wasn't just the men. We had teams of two men and two women working side by, working one in the state college and the teacher training college for men and one in the teacher training college for women. So it wasn't just men in the men's school and women in the others. We tried to um, pre- prevent a diverse uh, representation of the teaching skills we had in that, in that respect. So that's how we were stationed. So it was very easy for us to kind of keep in touch, and it was a great source of uh, socialization for us, too. We never felt we were at that re- remotely uh, far away from another American or a young Peace Corps volunteer we could be in touch with. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is very different than how a lot of volunteers serve now I know. Where, where you're the only one in the village, but maybe it's the trade-off that while we can be connected now to people in the United States, so it allows us to have that virtual connection where if you had been dropped off maybe by yourself as the lone person, that would have been very difficult. So you know, mm. having that community of two to three people that can relate to what's going right. on. Right. No, that's interesting. I, I thought about that way. I used to get the, I had a shortwave radio, BBC channels, that would be a really big uh, entertainment night, you know, the hit parade on the BBC with showing American music. It's also the time of the Beatles. It's also the time of the explosion of uh, British rock and roll. And we were very much connected to that. It wasn't the American side so much, it was mostly the British side. So that kind of gave us some connection to what was happening in the world. But as I said in the beginning, uh, we knew that part of it, the entertainment side of what was going on. And I came home in 1968, it was a Democratic uh, National Convention. Very, you know, very different world than what I experienced when I left two years before. Uh, things had changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And in your service, what did you find difficult about serving as a Peace Corps volunteer in India when 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 you did? The most difficult part of that, yeah. God. You know, I really, I really kind of, uh, you know, very optimistic, and I guess I see things uh, in a rose-colored lens, but. I can't remember. Sometimes, I guess, uh, I, I got pretty adept at understanding the English, the language, rather, in Canada, the language. But um, certain times you hear, I, I enjoyed the camaraderie and people coming out to me. I felt like a celebrity. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt like a, in a little bit of Canada, some English. But sometimes people, I never felt any kind of animosity. Um, uh, I was a bit naive, I guess, about how people f- saw me. I mean, they were very friendly, but they still had questions about what we did. And we were fortunate enough to be close to some other um, expats, is the best word, some British people were still there, and we would uh, join them for social events in that area. And it was, it was a very pleasant place to live. It was a hill station, as they called it, which meant it wasn't as hot and, uh, and humid or heavy in the rainfall in that part of the country as it was in the lower lands. Mm-hmm. And what did you gain from your from your time as being a volunteer? You know, you said that you know, post graduation, you sort of went into Peace Corps for an adventure, and while other people had, you know, it was part of their game plan. But what did you take from that experience? How did that experience change you? 
Oh, I think it changed me quite a bit. I mean, just the, I mean, I've always been connected, fascinated with the international side of things and the technology area I work in now. And I've had the opportunity uh, to travel and meet other countries. Recently, last summer, I was in um, Vietnam, and I was also over in, um, gosh, in Kenya, because I met these contacts while working at the department, and I always had this international interest. So I saw technology. Everybody talks about technology in different terms, I, I think. But I saw it as a great connecting. In the international realm, the technology can just do more than just... Uh, uh, FaceTime or Snapchat or tweeting, whatever. I do that now myself, but I, it can take you other places too. It can get you some places and learn things a uh, much broader way, much broader st- stroke than what you could without it. So what the question was, what my takeaway? Yeah. Uh, what? So I was just, I guess, having been overseas and coming back, I said, well, I, 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 I went to work in the special education area because it was a new, exciting field. And I wanted to convert that enthusiasm to go and help that part of the that part of the education structure. So the biggest takeaway, I guess, is you can go somewhere and you can you can learn as you go. I I went in the special education area formally. I learned some new strategies for teaching kids with disabilities, and technology kind of eventually became part of that and led me to kind of explore the new offerings they had in technology at the Department of Education when Al Gore was the uh, vice president. And created the office. That's what I'm getting around to. So I, what did it do? It motivated me to kind of um, look for things that are new that can help people to learn. And uh, going overseas and going back to India these couple of times, um, it's still very much a culturally bound issue in many ways. What you do with it, what you do with that tool, how you use it. Um, for me, from my standpoint, I'm always interested in learning more about other people, more exotic nature. I think the instant connect- connectivity of the technology is a thing I see when I travel internationally now. I think it's the same, the same way I see with the teenagers and my own kids and grandkids is that that's, that's the most appealing part of it. You don't have to... Well, it's hard to... I worry about writing. I worry about trying to get people to think about and compose something other than a certain number of characters they can do in a tweet. But, you know, that's... And by the same token, I see kids... kids um, some of my own family are very, very avid readers still, and I'm I'm surprised at that. I just hope we don't lose that, in the technology being such an easy tool, and readily available tool that it kind of satisfies all of our needs. And, but unfortunately, I think we're finding out it really doesn't. The kids have to expand beyond mm-hmm. that. And post Peace Corps, my why Peace Corps was for me. Yeah, I wanted to go look at something else, mm-hmm. and, you know, see what it's about. And then you, you alluded to when, when you came back from Peace Corps that the United States was a very different place. Where did your career go post-Peace Corps? And, and get into that and how Peace Corps shaped that because for a lot of people who are, are listening to the show, it's, it's a vast majority of people who are interested in Peace Corps. And you've been able to have a career uh, that's spanned much longer than most of the people that are listening have been alive. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so l- help us learn from, from your you know, experience and, and what you did along the way. And yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I've already told you some of this, um, the stumbling blocks. Coming back, I stumbled because I thought I could do anything. It was almost like I was empowered. I can go halfway around the world and people will love me and I can teach them new things and they're very grateful and appreciative. 
that's not always going to happen. You know, I forgot that, you know, you got to prove that you deserve that attention or that accommodation that people will listen to you and uh, appreciate what you're doing for them. That wasn't my first experience. It was, it was an issue of race, too. I'll say it was, a, it was inspired to go to a, an ethnic, a black school in inner, Philadelphia, inner city Philadelphia and apply, in my mind, some of the same skills I thought about going to another culture halfway around the world and bring them the good news, bring them what I, what I, could, what I could tell them and teach them. But the receptivity overseas was much more um, readily given than when I came home. So what did I learn from that? Well, I learned then I got to start digging around for something else that I think I can contribute with because uh, it wasn't certainly wasn't happening for me. If I couldn't control a classroom full of uh, third and fourth graders in urban city Philadelphia, I was I was uh, at a loss. I I wanted to teach. I always thought about that. I could have had the option coming back. I think my I turned down a job in my own neighbor in my own community, teaching high school history, and I'd done that in student teaching. Uh, when I wanted to get a teaching certificate. And I thought, well, that's, I'm, I'm ready for something more challenging. I can certainly handle whatever a big urban system has to offer. But I was mistaken. Um, I had to kind of pull up, figure out where I was going to go next. And it was really happenstance. I don't know if there's any you know, des- destiny in this, but a friend of mine knew a friend of his who was teaching in a school, what they call at that time, a state school for the mentally retarded. And they were hiring people. It was the beginning of the Johnson era. It was the Title I programs. Let's get, you know, great society. I mean, I, I, I appreciate, I mean, for me, I think I guess just got lucky. I am always thankful for that progress or that push to kind of expand educational opportunities because it expanded opportunities for me. And that's why I found my way back to the classroom and enjoyed some success at that. But to be honest, the success was just being able to get in the classroom, take time, with these students, teach them new ways, use new tools to teach them. And that was a great opportunity, great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And has anyone you've known uh, of a younger generation served in Peace Corps? Would you want or encourage one of your grandchildren to serve in Peace Corps? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. And it uh, hasn't happened. I, I just have grandchildren. I, I have one daughter. Mm-hmm. and uh, But she actually joined me. And she went back with me to Peace Corps to India. That one trip, she wanted to see it a little bit. And she had gone to work and she had traveled in Africa. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that somehow um, corresponds to my interest and what she saw and what I was doing. But she's been to a lot of places she's been to travel in. She is, that's where she's... Uh, I'm very happy for that. I think that's uh, that's a good thing to do because I I know on the other side of the coin is some people just never never make that move, and this is not a judgment, but uh, something's got to motivate you, I guess, to see what else is going on. And I got to be honest with you, I I know I went to college with a guy who married his high school sweetheart, and they dated all through college. I frankly didn't have that kind of steady relationship. Um, I enjoyed having dates and being, I had more freedom that way, but I never got involved to the extent that they committed to each other. So it gave me a, a freer hand, if you will, to kind of do something else. Mm-hmm. To go abroad and not talk to your friends or family for, for 21 months. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess the, I wasn't looking forward to that, but sometimes you go, you know, you don't have to be dependent on that. The family is very important, don't get me wrong. But some way I was like, they all kind of shaped, they, I've gone back, I've talked to college, uh, colleague, this couple, for example, 
that they were the same, the same group and the same kind of people they grew up with. And they all love each other. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, unless you get that bug, or, you know, somehow see something else. Uh, it's something that uh, stays with you. You want to go and see more if you can. I don't know. I'm up to going to see more around now, but I'm lucky to go back to a different part of the world last year, as I mentioned, and may go back again uh, if they invite me. Mm-hmm. And your trip back. So we, we've sort of alluded to it a little bit. So what exactly were you doing, uh, and how did you get this opportunity to go back? That wasn't just, you know, I guess most people have the opportunity to go back. You can, you know, buy a plane ticket and go unless the country you served in is in a war zone or yeah. something else. Yeah. But you had an opportunity to go back in a more official capacity. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Well, fascinating, you know, because I mentioned um, two trips back to India, 2006, 2008. I mentioned 2008 before. But 2006, um, someone was putting together a conference, international, they call it, international conference, but basically as Indian... Um, the Indian industry and, and technology and how they were working towards creating new tools for people with disabilities in the classroom and for them to assist them in their mobility around the country. So the first trip was back, I think it was sponsored by through USAID. I could be wrong, but I think there was some funds coming from U.S. Uh, State Department, the other education and cultural affairs. They were doing some things and they uh, organized this trip. And one of the people who was the organizer was a gentleman I worked with at the Department of Education. He had since retired. And he was working with this woman who has an advocacy group for disabled people in, in Minneapolis called PACER. I can't recite the acronym now correctly, but they, they, wanted, and they wanted to do more work internationally as an NGO, as an uh, advocacy group for disability. And they've set up a program in India, I think a short one in Bangalore. But I think people... I don't know what's happening with it right now. I think they did some things initially. But, you know, you, you're living overseas, too. Commit, you know, to, commitment to the long term is very important, how people start these things. So that was my first opportunity. The conference was a kickoff, kind of that their involvement in the country. And they set up a center, um, technology center in Bangalore, uh, to help people with disabilities. So that was more or less on the, on the special education or disability side, specifically. And then... And I mean, that con- well, that came about because I worked in the special ed programs for so many years in the department and got to know a lot of people, in this case specifically those working internationally. And then um, the second trip back, 2008, was with an organization called Deshpande Foundation. I may mention that. But they originally had started bringing over young Americans, almost like a quasi-Peace Corps, but they were there for a shorter, maybe a year or less just to kind of do short-term um, Workshops, short-term involvement, or more entrepreneurial. They basically wanted people to be creative, be uh, be agents of change in their. You know, we spoke about Peace Corps being changed, but being more in the marketplace, doing things that would be new tools, new activities people could buy, and make something come out of that that would inspire other people to be think outside the routine of what you can do for people with disabilities in India. So Despondi, he's also very successful. He's Canadian by birth, but he's from, actually, he's from Hubli, the same town where I was stationed as a Peace Corps volunteer. So that's how the connection was made eventually. Um, I'm not sure he knew that, but, I mean, I, he came over the first, they launched the Spondi. I was over there in uh, Hubli, Darwar, the Twin Cities, and they had a conference, and I was attending that, and I met him, and a big, you know, when they have a conference, they have some kind of uh, inaugural event 
lots of food, lots of socializing, meeting people, and starting his new program. So he had some young Americans involved, kind of like a quasi-peace corps. But eventually he started focusing on the young Indians, uh, native people there, who had some inkling or some um, ability to work with technology in a positive way. And he worked directly, more directly with them, I think, bringing them in. But wanting them to be entrepreneurial, wanting them to, wanting them to create products or create um, activities, create businesses that would be else would not be the logical, not be the routine way of thinking about what you do as a young Indian. Think bringing over the American, uh, you know, capitalism, if you will. Uh, that's always the rub, I guess. How you make that thing work? Um, that, but you still have some kind of motivation incentive to make something that will will do good, help people, and also be successful and sustain itself over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Not a government project. That's what it was, I think. Takeaway I had from it. And now that you have a, a captive audience, even though right now you're only talking to me at a, at a, at a dining room table. <laughs> well, you're a pretty good audience. You're listening carefully. Well, well, well thank you. <laughs> Is there, is there anything else that you want to share with people who are interested in Peace Corps, are currently serving in Peace Corps, or have returned, just the general Peace Corps-interested um, audience um, from from your experience? Is there a, a story or anything else that you would like to share? Yeah, I, I know Peace Corps is going through some changes. I think you know it's a political issue here and how, 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 how they staff it, how they fund it. But... Um, you can't underestimate the experience. Uh, I'm speaking from my own experience, uh, very minimal, I mean, in terms of what, what people have built on from their Peace Corps years. But, you know, it, it kind of tells you there's always something else to learn. There's always something else to to explore. And to the extent you get to involve in another culture and, and learn to view things from their perspective, I think that has um, incremental value in terms of how you see other things in your life. Uh, what you can do with it, what you can probably learn, how you can do with very little if you have to, to, to make things happen. Uh, maybe sounding a little Pollyannish, but I just think um, just all satisfaction. I mean, a certain extent saying you did it, you went there, you had nothing, uh, you hopefully made something out of it, and you have something else to tell people about. Um, and sometimes, to the, you know, until you kind of like motivate yourself to kind of keep going after new things, kind of expanding on that, people will listen to you. I think they'll be interested in what you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to be honest, I first came back from Peace Corps, I had no idea. I'd tell you it was 68 and things were really weird. And I'm not sure people wanted to hear about it so much. I was in the first, uh, first second wave of Peace Corps volunteers coming home. And there were preoccupations there that um, never allowed me. But if I had been more forceful, perhaps, maybe I should have spoken up. should have said more about, you know, this is something we don't know much about. And we're all better off if we go somewhere and see what it's like and really, really try to see what, um, what part we can play, what part America can play, have a better appreciation for the gifts we have, um, the benefits we have. Um, but no, not, not in a charitable, not necessarily in a look, downward-looking way that people have to pull themselves up, but that you get enriched by the experience. I always felt, here's what I maybe finalized with it. People say, well, you gave a lot in the Peace Corps. You gave. I said, you know, I came out of the experience, I, I got more than I ever gave. I don't know how you can equate it, but I can tell you there's things that I feel from that experience that were just enriching to me. And you couldn't put a monetary value on it. You can't weigh it up and down who gave more, who gave less. But I think, my standpoint, there's much more that you can get from it 
you're doing something. You think you hope you're giving, but what you get back is much richer for you personally mm-hmm. and professionally, perhaps. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Oh, must be that feeling, I think. Mm-hmm. And I always ask people to share a quote or a saying uh, from the local language from the time when they served in Peace Corps. And the one that you told me uh, is very, very fitting in getting into the whole idea that people, Americans, should should go and go and experience and experience new cultures and learn. And that a lot of times, you know, you are going to get more than than you give from the experience. And I think that your your quote really speaks to that. Um, can, so what is the quote that you, that you uh, would like to share it's with us? In, in Canada, if I pronounce it correctly, I think it's Nano Hog Batini. Hog Nano is me, I. And Hogu, Hogu is kind of, uh, go, Hogu, go. But to me, I'd come back, come back. So I didn't really think about it. You had that one little um, blurb saying what, what phrase stuck, stuck with you. It's like, you know, it's, um, you're going to go, you're going to leave, but you, you'll come back. There's a sense that somehow, um, I don't know, it's not like saying you can't say goodbye, but I think people want to be connected. They want to kind of have the feeling that you may go, but you'll come back in some, maybe I'm reading much, too much into it, but you'll come back in some way. You're not going to just say it's over and next, next, you know, next shade, page, next chapter. It's always got, maybe we talk now, I guess I go back, you know, I'm coming back, um, thinking about it all the time, going and coming, literally. Um, but that's what I thought was a phrase that kind of like epitomized some ways the experience. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think it fits very well. And in, in closing, you, you shared uh, your blog with me, Tech to Express, and I'll, I'll link to it in, in there. And actually, I'm actually pretty envious of it. So I have several blogs and different websites that I've been negligent in posting. Uh, you post quite frequently, and I like your format of just a few paragraphs, short, succinct <laughs> thoughts, because I think I always uh, chalk it up that I have to write, you know, this thousand, two thousand word piece each time. So I end up not writing anything. Uh, but I think I'm going to actually take this model and, okay. and, and use it for my own blog. But if you want to uh, find out a little bit more about Ray Myers and what you're thinking, the stuff that you're working on, definitely check out uh, his blog, Tech to Express. It's on Twitter also. It's, it's just easier to get to. It's at Raymond Myers, just one link there. But it's posted on different places. Yeah, and I'll link to that as well. Okay. In there. And so what exactly are you doing now What in, in your career? You said you had the opportunity last year yeah. uh, or this year to go back to, or go to Kenya and go other places. Well, I keep in touch with people who are doing technology in, in the developing world. They, I met them during my job when I work at the department. They, I, was, I would be happy to. No one, to be honest with you. They would have visitors come in. It was all new field under the, at least from the Clinton years, it first started. A lot of international interest. I've been I was over in Japan working with them for a while, um, in one semester in one of the colleges. But they basically, um, want to learn from the American experience. They want to feel what, what do we know? What do we learn from technology? And, um, I try to do my best. You know, we're just a large, such a large piece of, uh, of, uh, implementation. I mean, there's so many, the states, how they do it. And people understand that you got to break it down here into classrooms or into school districts, states. They have different functions, different ideas about technology. And we have national education technology plans, which you put out periodically. But right now, I'm not sure what's happening in that respect, if they are going to put another plan out. But just kind of like rethinking 
what you're going to do with the technology mm-hmm. and how people can benefit in different ways from it. Uh, did I answer that question? Yes. Yeah. That you just wanted to know. Mm-hmm. So that was always, that was fun. I mean, uh, just because uh, you, you have to move with it. And you mentioned the blog, you mentioned all the tweeting. For, I was the oldest guy in the office. I thought this was ironic. I became the, 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 the Mr. The Twitter, Twitter master, or whatever you call it. <laughs> and I, I just enjoyed it. It was a new trick I learned. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm doing the blog now, and I'd, I'd say, well, the Twitter's okay, but then it got so abbreviated, so many hashtags and mm-hmm. well, they've, they've, they've upped the word count. Yeah, re- upped the word count to 280 now. Yeah. Or two, well, it was 140. Back to 140, I heard the other day. Oh. Anyway, it was always a trick. It was like, you know, uh, putting a puzzle together, make, make it all work, put it together. So now the blog was a little more expansive, and I've written some articles and things like mm-hmm. that. So, But th- the blog I like because... Um, I invite people to respond to me too. I don't get much response, literally, but I get a number of likes. You know, they hit, they hit, they, they say they like it. But I like to get more involved with people saying what they think of it. Most of the news things I put up are they know about, but I just give it my own spin. Usually at the end, what I think it, it all means, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the fun. That's the fun part. And blogging was something anybody can do now, and anybody can read or not read. Yeah, if they want. <laughs> right. Well. Ray, thank you very much for coming on uh, the show and sharing your experience with everybody. I've enjoyed uh, this conversation, and I'll link to your blog. I'll link to uh, a piece that you actually wrote uh, for the Rotary Club uh, that talks a yeah. little bit about yeah. your service and, and and going back in that whole experience of people want to learn uh, a little bit of ma- more about your time in India going back and then stay connected to what you're doing. I'll have all those links in the show notes over at mypeacecorestory.com. And it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure, too. Thank you very much, Tyler. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like this episode and others from the My Peace Corps Story podcast, please consider becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. Patreon is an online membership platform that helps creators connect to their fans and get paid for and help fund the projects that they love. For as little as $1 a month, you can help me continue to grow this podcast. The My Peace Core Story podcast is a passion project of mine, and I want to see it grow into the go-to resource for Peace Core Stories. With your support, we can make that happen. Head on over to patreon.com and search for the show, or simply go to mypeacecorestory.com support to find out how you can help me continue to fund and grow this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?